0: You, you probably didn't know that we have two saints in our church. And they're going to help me today. So, uh, St. Saint, uh, Saint Melanie, would you come up? And St. Ellen, would you come up? And just so nobody forgets these people are saints, this is St. Melanie. And this is St. Ellen. Congratulations. Have a seat and help me today um every pastor needs some saints around right okay um let's see chris is in the middle uh, pastor chris is in the middle of a series on soul care oh yeah i'm going to take this off so you can read my lips um and the saints they can take <laughs> theirs off too as long as they're up here um Okay, Pastor Chris is doing a series on soul care. It's kind of, how do we form our, uh, how how does the Lord form us spiritually? Uh, So I figured, well, I don't want to interrupt his series with some other teaching on whatever it is his train of thought is, but I thought, well, let me, let's just do a sermon on an example of a practice that some of us use for soul care including me. Uh, I needed an example for this, so I teach a, or lead a life group every Tuesday night, and um, so I just picked one of the scriptures from there. It's a psalm. It's the psalm number 16. And uh, it was used in worship, and so I figured we could use it here. So we're going to read the psalm through once. We're going to read it kind of Fast. The two saints are gonna just alternate as they read through five stanzas Do the best you can to just get the top level We're gonna go back and look at it a little closer because I know what it's like to read a piece of a passage of scripture for the first time In a long time and then and then what did that say again? So we're gonna figure out. Well, what did that say again? So Saints take it over
1: Keep me safe, O God for I have come to you for refuge.
2: I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have, I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply from, for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods.
1: Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. Your God, all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance.
2: I will bless the Lord who guides me, even at night my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me.
1: No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead. Oh, allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever.
0: Now I missed something. Right at the beginning, I missed something. I forgot to pray for the Lord to speak to his spirit to us as we listened to the scripture. I forget that sometimes too. So let's do it now. Father, would you provide your spirit to us today? Would you teach us from this psalmist that wrote thousands of years ago a passage that gets handed down and handed down and handed down to us? Would you uh, show yourself to us through this passage? In Christ's name we pray. Okay, now we're going to read it again, and then we'll do a little preaching along the way. But we're just going to read it a stanza at a time. There are five stanzas, so the girls or the, the saints are going to uh, flip the order this time.
2: Keep me safe, O oh God, for I have come to you for refuge.
0: I like to sometimes just kind of underline a, a word that will remind me of more that's in that song. So I underline refuge. If I, if I talk about a refuge in a storm or a refuge from danger or whatever, it's usually going to a place or maybe a cave or in hiding someplace. Uh, but it's not here. It's a person. It's the Lord Is the refuge. So I got to thinking about, you know, the refuges in my life. I was born in 1946, a long time ago. My father left within six months. So we needed a refuge. I didn't know we needed a refuge. I had no idea what was going on, but my mother took us to her parents' house and my grandparents were our refuge. Four years later, 1950, my mother married the man who is my father, at least as far as I know, uh, Roscoe is his name. Easy to remember name, Roscoe. Um, he and my mother uh, then set up their own home, and they were, you know, we were pretty precarious. Um, But they connected us into a small Nazarene church, and it was not a great church. It was kind of a dysfunctional church. But there was a couple in that church that gave refuge to my parents and to me. They had a son a little older than me. They'd take me home with them to play with their son. You know, I kind of grew up in the Craig house on every Sunday. They'd take me home after church. They'd give me back to, in the evening service, they'd take me back and give me back to my parents. The Craigs also were a refuge for my parents and they found jobs for my dad and my mom, volunteer jobs in the church, and my mother was a good piano player, so they were a refuge for us. The church was a refuge, even though it wasn't perfect. You're probably thinking about who was your refuge throughout life. It's a good thing to think about. The Lord is our refuge. The Lord worked through other people to provide refuges for me. So when you're, when you're done thinking about your, your own refuges, you, then the question is, uh, start thinking about now who have I been a referen- ref- refuge to? Or who could I be a ref- refuge to? How, who could I provide shelter for? Let's go to the next one.
1: I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of other gods, their gods.
0: You could underline several things in this. Sansa, I just picked the one that kind of the Lord seemed to give to me a couple of weeks ago when I started looking at it. Every good thing comes from the Lord. You know, that's a fundamental truth that we we often miss. A creator, the creator could have uh, had to be powerful, had to be creative, ingenuous. But he didn't have to be good. People will create gangs, you know, uh, mobs. And the mob leader is powerful. And he's creative and and ingenious, but he's not good. In our case, the creator of everything is not only all of that, but he's good. By good, I mean he's, he's moral. He's the definition of moral. He's loving. He's good. And I notice a lot of people that tell me about things in my life. I've heard a lot of people tell me about things that, they, that were good in their life or that maybe they did well. And I, I realized, well, now they didn't give any... Of the credit to the Lord that is the source of all good. I wonder if they don't realize where that where those good things came from. They came from this creator who had all that other power, but he was good and he still is good. And so when I see something good, or when any of us see something good, before we go on to the next thing, we, we need to stop and say, Wow, thank you, Lord. My grandparents wouldn't have been able to be our refuge if the Lord wasn't good. That little Nazarene Church in... uh, East Broadway Nazarene Church in uh, East Toledo, Ohio. um, they They wouldn't have been much of a refuge except the God that they worshiped. Even though they were dysfunctional, the God they worshiped is good. So this week, Let's notice the good that's around us, but when we notice the good that's around us, let's say to ourselves, uh, you know where the source of that goodness came from? Not because that person just is good-hearted or because they're generous or, yeah, but where did that come from? It came because their creator is at the core good. How about reading the next one?
2: Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing, you guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance.
0: Now, when I think of an inheritance, I think of something that I get when somebody else dies. Or I think about the inheritance I'm going to leave for somebody else after I die. I'm thinking a little more about that these days than about the former. Because all my, all my descendants, all my ancestors have died. Um, so what's left? Well, I, you know, I'm, I, I can give an inheritance to someone else. But this is different. It's not some kind of wealth. It's not a piece of wealth that is the inheritance. It is the Lord. It's not talking even about heaven. Well, although you could, we can look at heaven as an inheritance, but this, this thing Is talking about this, this stanza is talking about the Lord is my inheritance. Think about that it's a person now. This goodness that's sprinkled around in the world, uh, it's kind of like the, the parent that's getting older and they're gonna die in the next 20 years or 15 years or 10 years, they know they're going that's gonna happen. I'm, yeah, you know, I'm in that category. But it's like a parent that's at that stage and they have children that have needs and they give their children some of the inheritance early. They give them a foretaste so that they can get through whatever season of life they're in and see a path to the future. That's kind of what we're living in. The goodness that we see is just the tip of the iceberg. But part of that tip of the iceberg is the Lord's presence in our life now. Just as it is that my, if, I, if I give resources to my kids, my presence comes with it. Now, it may not be a good thing <laughs> from the kid's point of view, depending on the parent, but the parent we're talking about here is good. It's a really good thing. It's a foretaste of what's going in, into the future. Okay, let's do the next one.
1: I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me.
0: How much guidance have you ever received in your life when you're asleep? You know How much coaching? And my baseball coaches never helped me get better while I was sleeping. But this psalmist is saying, hmm, Even at night, my heart instructs me. And the reason his heart, is, he knows that the reason his heart is able to instruct him is it's really the spirit of the Lord, the, the spirit of Jesus, we would look at it. It happens a lot of times in my life. In fact, what I do with these scriptures every week, almost every day of every week, is spend a couple of days on a scripture like this one. And in those couple of days, invariably, I pick a stanza, a piece out of it. And it's the last thing I put in my brain before I go to sleep. And if I'm up in the night, it's the first thing I go back to. I can't tell you how many times in the morning a problem that seemed intransigent the night before is kind of like, I get it. That's how you look at that. That's what I need to do. The Lord instructs us at night. Crazy thing, I know, and it's a simple thing. It doesn't take you any time, you're gonna sleep anyhow. <laughs> but the Lord doesn't sleep, you know, he, he, can, he can get, in fact, it happened to me last night. I thought I was, knew what I was gonna preach last night. Uh, I woke up this morning and it was real clear, not even waking up, I mean, through the night I realized, oh, wait a minute, I gotta rewrite that. I missed something, I missed something else. What you're, what you're, what you're hearing this morning, 75% of it came last night. Between last night and this morning, so I encourage you to uh, <laughs> take advantage of it. You don't have—I mean, you can get your sleep and still be enlightened in the process, and uh, you probably sleep better. the The net result of this kind of guidance that we get from the Lord, as it says here. I didn't underline it, but basically it's confidence. I will not be shaken, that last line. I, I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. You have trouble living, you're insecure, you have some you know, insecurity issues that just are troubling you. Um, the Lord is our, is our uh, as, as the Lord guides us, we do get confidence. Sometimes it takes years, but um, the Lord will play that role in your life. I guarantee it. One more.
2: No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy Wand to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever.
0: One of the sidelines I, I do is I, I work with different people. Um, usually men, mostly men. And I've got a fellow that I work with now that he lives in another part of the state and he likes to write. Um, and uh, I write, so one of the things we do is we trade something we've written in the last month and then that's the subject of our monthly call. Actually, I do that with two people. Right now, a few other people more ad hoc, but these two people religiously every month for years. And from one of those conversations, I realized that okay, uh, this person is—he is, is, uh, doesn't believe in the bodily res- resurrection. Maybe Jesus is, but not his. And I look at this and I realize, hmm, this Psalmist sure did undermined body and soul there and then forever. Now, some of you might remember the sermon in the second chapter of Acts when Peter uh, is preaching to this crowd in Jerusalem, and it's right at Pentecost. And uh, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus and its implications. That's kind of the message of the of the day for him, and a lot of people responded to it. <laughs> ton of them. The Bible says uh, 3,000. This is the passage he used, these verses. That idea of resurrection of the body is not something that just came up in the, at the resurre- rec- resurrection of Jesus. This psalmist was writing hundreds of years before that. And this thread goes through all of, all of uh, history. So one of the people I've been working with for several years, I realize he doesn't He doesn't, he doesn't, it never occurred to him that he's going to have a bodily resurrection. And so my response back to him was, well, look, you know, uh, half the Christians in the world uh, don't, they think the resurrection is just spiritual. Um, And, you know, you, along with all of them, are going to be greatly surprised when you go to heaven and you realize you can now hit the golf ball straight. You won't even need a pitching wedge or a sand wedge because you'll never get in trouble. And every green, you'll one putt. Your body will be different, but you'll have a body. Um, And I showed him a passage in Isaiah 35 also, you know, the running and dancing. Um, So I guess I just point to this last stanza and say, if you're you're not sure about this resurrection thing, at some point, take a, a little study of it. Because when when I know what lies ahead the more I know about what lies ahead The more confident and comfortable I am in the present in the troubles of the present You know if I know I'm going to walk out of the dentist office and uh, Be able to stop and catch a sandwich for lunch on the way home. I can tolerate the drilling and filling If I know where this trajectory leads, and it leads to a bodily and spiritual and a soul resurrection, uh, that helps me in the present. I'll just maybe mention one other thing. This, what you just did, what we just did is we went through one passage of scripture and I do four of these a week. I've been doing that for two and a half years, so that means there's 520 of these kind of things written. If you're looking for a place to get started, that's the doorway into 520 of these kind of things. So if you don't know where to start, start there. Um, Or just start with whatever passage Pastor Chris uses next week, or any other way to choose the scripture.